God gives it a body as he's determined to each kind of seed he gives its own body. This kind of step change we're talking about in the resurrection, look around, it's happening all the time. Just look at seeds. That's all we're saying about the resurrection of the dead. There's going to be a stepped change in glory. Well, well, hang on a minute. It's not quite the same, is it? We might say, look, look, what you're talking about in the resurrection is a seriously different body. Look, my body and yours, it's subject to weakness. And you're saying it's going to be full of power. It's going to have new faculties full of power. You say that, that, that my body that's prone to death, it's going to become immune from death. It will enjoy indestructible life. Is that really what you're saying? It doesn't seem the same, does it? It seems that this difference is so huge. So huge. It's unprecedented. And Paul goes on and he says, no, it's not. Let me take you on a tour of the real world, of God's world. Verse 39. If you look around the world, you'll see that there are seriously different bodies. Seriously different bodies in the same world. Verse 39. All flesh is not the same. Man, that is humankind, has one kind of flesh. Animals another, birds another, and fish another. Let's go on a little tour, he says. He says, look, look, consider how different a bird's body is from a fish's body, from a person's body, from a cow's body. You know, think of all the different bodies that there are in the world. They're really different, really different. They look nothing like each other. Birds can fly, fish can swim. I guess they're equipped for the the different atmosphere, the different places that they they spend their life. And he says, "Don't, don't just look around. Look up. Look up at the sky. Look at the sun and the moon and the stars. And in older language, language Paul knows and that I guess we're still familiar with, those things in the sky, the sun, the moon, the stars, they're called heavenly bodies. That their bodies, their heavenly bodies, but look how different their body is. Look how different their body is from those bodies on earth. They're really different in glory, really different in their qualities. And Paul just says that that's all this resurrection of the dead is talking about. It's talking about a step change in glory, a really different kind of body. And we've got examples all around us. It's possible if you take into account God's word. Now, I guess we... We know a little bit about this. This is a silly example, but we know a little bit about this when we board an airplane. When, if you like, we here on Earth, uh, who breathe the air at about uh, six foot, uh, a height of six foot, we we get in a plane and we go into the sky. We have to go about 20,000 feet in the air. People who are are really earthbound suddenly have to become skybound or heavenbound. And we get in that plane, but we've got to put on a different body. We've all got to be inside a metal-cased body where the air pressure is controlled. Um... And uh, there are wings, it's shaped like a bird. Uh, We know that if we go from earth to heaven, we need to have a really different body with really different parts, equipped in a different way. It's just normal. We know that in our world, that there are really different places that require really different bodies. So it's just everyday reality, actually, in God's world. That's what Paul says. It's just everyday reality. God's world is full of really different bodies. And he says, verse 42, it's just like that with the resurrection. That's the principle we're talking about here, verse 42. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. I'm not asking you, he says, to buy into something different from sowing a seed. The seed that uh, 
is really different when it's sown to really different when it's fully grown. Verse 42, the body that's sown, our body at the moment, is perishable, it dies, and it's raised imperishable, it cannot die. It's sown in dishonor and it's raised in glory, full of shining beauty. It's sown in weakness, which is just like an early symptom of death, and it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body and it's raised a spiritual body. He says, look, your resurrection, to believe in the resurrection, you need to believe that a stepped change in glory is possible. And he says there are examples of that all over the world. That's all he's saying up until verse 44. And then he makes a move in verse 44. And you'd blink and you'd miss it, but he really turns up the heat because he no longer says that, that your resurrection as a Christian is possible. He says now, it's inevitable. Not it could happen, but it will happen. It really will happen. Do you see uh, in the start of verse 44? He's still talking about different kinds of body, natural, spiritual. And then he says something quite new. He hasn't said this before. Have a look at uh, the second half of verse 44. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. It's inevitable. If a natural, then there'll be a spiritual. And his point through this little section up to verse 49 is, it's inevitable that you'll be resurrected, just as it was inevitable that Christ followed Adam. You and I really will have a different resurrected body if we're Christians, as surely as Christ followed Adam. Let me illustrate by, uh, by asking a question which uh, is a question you might have been asking each other in jest. Maybe you haven't asked it yet. And if so, I want to ask, how, you, how young are you? The question is this, what is happening to me? What is happening to us? It feels like, like life is just breaking down. It, it feels really like, I mean, wh- why are we not like we used to be? We're, we're a bit like, our life feels a bit physically, a bit like those, um, those mud balls. Do you, ever, do you ever see those mud balls? Sometimes they're on a, a bit of a building site where... You know, there are clumps of mud stuck together. There's some stones in them, maybe, and you break off a bit, and you try and put it back on, but it won't go back on. It's gone. You know, bits that come off stay off. They don't go back on. It just disintegrates in your hand. We're kind of crumbly. You know, there are little reminders of this. I'm reminded of this every time I go to the barbers. We, we have this ongoing discussion where I say, look, look, can you give me, um, he says, what will you have today? I say, well, why do, I feel in bold today. Why don't you give me a three all over? You know, use the clippers. Give me a, a three all over. I used to have that. I used to have that. Give me that. And he says, um, very politely, no, I, I think I'll just use the scissors. I'll just use the scissors. And I say, no, 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 I've had it before. I've had it before. I've had it loads of times. I stood it. It's fine. And he says, no, no, I'll, ju- I'll just use the scissors. I'll take a little bit off and you see what you think. And, uh, and then eventually... Uh, he said, I said, look, look, I've had it. I've had this before. And he said, when did you have it? I said, I had it, I had it many years ago. And he said, that's the point. If I give you a really short haircut now, it won't grow back. And, and that's the point. There are things that, that, that there, there are things that we have now, but the point is, if, if we lose them now, we don't get them back. We just don't get them back. If you have scars later in life, as life goes on, they don't heal that quickly. Sometimes they don't heal at all. But, I mean, that's just what we're like. In a sense, we're like, we're like that mud ball. We're, we're sort of like bits of crumbly dust. And, um, and more seriously and, and more sadly, we can get reminders of that even in life. So I, I, remember, um, I remember being in the car with my father and my sister. 
And we were, we were driving away. We were collecting some things of my late grandmother. She had just died. And we were collecting some things from the nursing home. And, and I had seen my grandmother reasonably close to death, but not right before. But my dad had. It was his mother. And uh, we were in the car. And my dad just commented. We, we, were, we were sad, uh, obviously. My dad commented to us, it's, it's a horrible thing seeing the human body break up close to death. And he was speaking of his own mother. And I didn't know quite what he meant, and I still don't really quite know what he meant. But it is a horrible thing that the body breaks up, and yet that is us. We, we, we are like crumbly dust. We are like that mud ball. And I want to ask the question, why? Why are we like that? I know the obvious answers, but why? Why is it that that is what we're like? That we have the breath of life in us, but essentially we're like crumbly dust. And the Bible gives a straightforward answer to that. The Bible says it's because you bear the image of the man of dust. You take after the first man in God's story, Adam. The first man in God's story, Adam, was essentially dust. He was made from dust, crumbly dust. But God breathed the breath of life into him. But in his essence, he's dust. He's he's prone to decay and death. Do you see verse 47? The first man, Adam, was of the dust of the earth. And we take after him, verse 48. As was the earthly man, that is Adam, so are those who are of the earth, that is us. Verse 49, we've borne the likeness of the earthly man. So that's why we're, we're dusty. That's, that's why life is like that for us. We just take after the first man in God's story, the man of dust. But to the Christian, the question comes back, and was that the end of the story? And the Christian knows that wasn't the end of the story. It was unthinkable that God's story would end with a man who was like dust. He had the breath of life in him, but it vanished almost as soon as it came, and he returned to dust. It was unthinkable that God's story could end there. No, every Christian knows that there are two men in God's story, two people, two representatives, Adam and Christ. Adam and Christ. And do you see the difference between them in verse 5? One man, Adam, he was a living being. That is, he was basically dust, but he had the breath of life breathed into him. But as soon as you know that there is the breath of life, as soon as you know that that life is possible, as soon as you know that somebody's got the breath of life, it makes you say, there must be a breather. There must be somebody breathing life here. As soon as you know that someone has the breath of life, there must be someone who actually is life. And so God's story was never going to end with Adam. It was always going to finish with Christ. Do you see verse 45? The first man had life breathed into him. The last Adam, Christ, is life-giving spirit. He is the breather of life. I guess we see that chiefly at the resurrection where, where Jesus is raised in power and it is the Holy Spirit. He is clothed utterly and completely with the Holy Spirit. He is clearly seen there in his resurrection to be the life-giving spirit. And so, to uh, to us, as Christians here today, for your resurrection to be inevitable, you only have to answer one question. Was there one man in God's story, or were there two? 
You only need to believe in Christ, the second man in God's story. You see, it was unthinkable that God's story was going to finish with dusty death and fragile life, and it's unthinkable that your story as a Christian is going to end with that kind of dusty death and fragile breath of life. Rather, it was inevitable that God's story that that began with the breath of life would continue with the breather of life. It's inevitable that your story, which has begun with the breath of life, that we have now, well, if we're Christians, it will continue. It will continue with unending life, with the breather of life breathed in us, Christ living in us by his Spirit. Now, if you're you're not a Christian, then there's a sense in which, at the moment, you only take after the first man in God's story. But but do you see, it was unthinkable that God's story could end there. And and for you to enter into the, the glorious second part of God's story, for you to know not just the breath of life, but for you to have the breather of life living in you and guaranteeing unending life for you with him, well, well, you need to, if you like, hang off the coattails of that second man. You, to hang off the coattails of Adam, the first man, we only needed to be born. To, to hang off the coattails of the second man and to follow after him and to bear his image, we just need to believe. So believe today. Believe, if you haven't believed before, that Christ who died and was raised can breathe that same unending life into you by his Spirit. That's how it's become inevitable for every Christian and it can become so for you today. But Paul's got, uh, got one more thing to say to us, one more move to make, as it were, in verses 50 to 57. He, he raises the stakes one more time. No longer is uh, the Christian's resurrection possible. It could happen. It's inevitable. It will happen. And then in this last section, he says, it's necessary. It must happen. You must be raised from the dead. Do you see in verse 50? In verse 50, we start to get this uh, feeling of necessity. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood, that is our, our current existence, our current body, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It cannot happen. It, it, you must have, Christians must have bodies that are prone, or that are not prone to decay or death. They must have imperishable bodies. Verse 53 again, the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable. It must happen. If you're a Christian, your resurrection must happen if God is going to be seen as victorious. Now, this, uh, this might seem like a detour, but it's, uh, it's relevant, I think. If, uh, if you ever open up a business, uh, here's, a, here's a little tip. This is as profound as it gets from me. If you open up a business, get the sign on the front right. Get the placard right. You know, don't make any typos. And make sure that the, you know, one of the letters doesn't fall off because it can send a really different message. We, uh, we put a, a new sign out in the front of the church recently, and I, think, I don't think we made any horrendous mistakes. I don't think there were any typos. Maybe you can check it afterwards. But, but get that right. Get the sign. Get the placard right. Otherwise, it's going to send a really different message. Now, you probably all have your favorite stories of, of neon signs that you've seen with letters missing that, that then tell a really different story. Um, I've got a couple of favorites. I, I couldn't actually get them off, off the internet, but I've got the text of them. So could you put it up? So, so if, you, if you're going to open up a restaurant and you're going to call it Dynasty Buffet, it's a good name, isn't it? You, know, you might think about that for a restaurant. Dynasty Buffet, just make sure the D and the Y don't fall off. 
sends a completely different message. This is my favorite, this next one. Uh, self-storage, uh, great. Somewhere, somewhere you can go and take, take your stuff and leave it there. But if you drop off the first S, um, uh, well, it's a very useful place to take little small people and put them, isn't it? Um, but, uh, but in terms of signs, there, there is a big sign given in this passage, a big placard, something that's going to be, be placarded across the whole universe when God is victorious, when, when it's clear and obvious to all that, that God's kingdom has come, it's arrived. And, and the placard, the text of it, has been made known in advance. We, we know what it is already. It's given to us in verse 54. Do you see verse 54? The second half says, Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. When that is placarded across the whole universe, you know that God is victorious. History will have reached its climax. No one will question that God is God anymore. Nothing will cry out, God is not God. God will be victorious. That, that's where history's heading. That's the placard. Death has been swallowed up in victory. But the trouble is, it doesn't read right at the minute. It doesn't read right at the minute. Now, at the minute, the sign looks a bit probably like this. It looks actually like the, the words in the middle are missing. It looks like death has victory. And the reason it looks like death is victory is that there are people, and there are a lot of them sitting in this room, there are people who bear the name of Christ who still have bodies prone to death and decay. There are Christians who still have traces of death about them. See, here's the thing. God in Christ has not beaten death until people in Christ have beaten death. Just, uh, just come with me for a moment back to uh, verse 22. We had it read to us. Verse 22 of this chapter. We get a little countdown to that great moment when that placard can be raised. Verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, it's clear this does not include God himself. He put everything under Christ. When he's done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now, what that's simply saying is that Jesus has, as it were, been put in charge of the universe, and he's been given the job by his father of defeating everything that opposes God. And there's an order to that. So the last enemy to be defeated will be death. And and when death is completely and utterly defeated, the son, as it were, takes the keys of the kingdom and says to the father, I hand it over to you. Let it be obvious to the whole universe that God is God, that, that God will be all in all, and God the Father says, has everything been defeated? Yes, death has been defeated. And it's then and only then, it's then and only then that God is seen to be the victor and seen to be the king. Now, why can that end not come? What's holding it up? What's stopping it, as it were? Christ has been raised from the dead. Surely death has been swallowed up in victory. But the point is that people who belong to Christ haven't been raised from the dead. It's absolutely necessary 
for God to be victorious, before God can be seen to be king, that there are no traces of death left amongst those who bear the name Christ. God in Christ has not beaten death until people in Christ have beaten death. So that, that's why that's why you get this streak of necessity going through these verses from 50 to 57. You know, verse 50, have a look with me. That flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You can't have something prone to death entering a kingdom, the whole strapline of which is death is defeated. You know, the perishable cannot inherit the, perish- the imperishable. Verse 51 and 52, no, we will all be changed. There will be a dramatic change. And verse 53, the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality. People who are prone to death need to become immune to death for God to be seen to be the victor. Verse 54, then when that has happened, and only then, the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Then you get the full sign, as it were. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Then you know that, uh, that God is king. Nothing opposes God. God will be all in all. And then uh, do you see that wonderful taunt that will be sung and spoken? Verse 55, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? But that cannot be said yet. That cannot be said until every Christian person is resurrected and there are no more traces of death in them. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And we might say, well, how are we going to beat death? We can't beat death. Verse 56 reminds us, someone has already beaten it. The sting of death is sin and we are sinners. The power of sin is the law that registers, tells us that we're sinners. But thanks be to God, verse 57, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. To bear the image of Jesus Christ, you simply need to believe in him. To share in his victory over death, you simply need to believe in him. That he died and that he's risen. And you will share his victory too. And so Paul has uh, taken us, as it were, on a tour of, of God's reality, not ours, but God's. And he said, look at God's words. It makes your resurrection possible. More than that, it makes your resurrection inevitable when you take into account his story. Christ follows Adam. And now he says, for God to be shown to be victorious, you must be raised from the dead. It must happen. It's necessary. And then he closes with verse 58. And here we'll conclude too. He says this, Therefore, in light of all that I've said, because of this, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. That's the the result of holding on to this truth, the reality of the resurrection, not just Christ's, but ours. The result is it makes for people who are steady, immovable, They're not shaking around. And what do people do who are steady? Verse 58, they they work. They work for the Lord. There's a connection between believing that nothing is in vain in Jesus Christ and working for that same Jesus Christ. 
Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So uh, we might say that in a couple of ways, if we believe that we will be gloriously resurrected like Jesus Christ, following Jesus Christ, it will transform how we look at the sweat, if you like, the work, the toil that we might do for Jesus and as people who are in Jesus. So you see, Paul knows that decisions about where you're going to invest your time, your money, your your hopes, your energies, your prayers, your labors, he knows that actually all those rest on whether you think it's worthwhile in Christ and for Christ. So the, the decisions that we make all the time, where we're going to move to, what we're going to do, how we're going to use our time, but particularly what we're going to do for Jesus Christ and his people. Those decisions are always made based on whether we think it's in vain or not. And if you believe, if you believe that actually in Christ you have unending, glorious life, well, you know that none of that is in vain. So it will affect our decision, if you like, about... Um, whether to sweat, do work, work wholeheartedly for the Lord. It'll affect that. And then it'll affect what we choose in terms of sin. So this chapter has already mentioned that that in the whole question that we all face, moment by moment, day by day, whether to sin or not, well, that question is decided by whether we think believing in Christ is worthwhile or not. Paul knows that what feeds that decision and that battle is whether we think the resurrection is real. And so if uh, it's not real, we just think, well, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. We can live how we choose. But if Jesus is really raised, if he's really alive, and if we really will follow him, well, then we can say no to sin now. Life is not about shortness and decay and death now, but it is instead about glory, unending glorious life with Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, Therefore, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's uh, bow our heads and pray. Our Father God, we thank you that uh, what you say is true and real is, and it will happen. We thank you that it is not only possible, but that if we believe in Christ, it's inevitable. And it is necessary for you to be shown to be victorious over death, that we be raised from the dead as Christians. And we praise you that uh, you have given us a share in that, that we can join in together with you and say one day that death has been swallowed up in victory. Thank you we can say it in principle now, and thank you that we can say it with certainty that it will happen in the future. And we pray that knowing this, we would know that everything done in Christ, for Christ, is worthwhile. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.